Welcome to the EADV podcast. In today's very fitting episode, Professor Jan Guttemuth is joined by Professor John Powley, who heads up the dermatology department at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden and is an expert on skin cancer. In this episode, they discuss his research on skin cancer, including treatment aspects and epidemiology of both melanoma and non-melanoma types, emphasising the significance of prevention, early detection and effective treatment options. You will gain valuable insights on educating patients about protecting themselves from skin cancer and providing optimal care in case of diagnosis. But first... Get ready to experience cutting-edge science and innovation in dermatology and virology at the upcoming EADV Congress in Berlin, Germany, 11th to 14th of October 2023. The EADV Congress is one of the largest and prestigious international gatherings dedicated to dermatology and virology, providing a platform for the brightest minds in research, clinicians, and top industry professionals to come together and share knowledge, make connections, and foster scientific collaboration. The diverse interactive program covering the full AZ of hot topics also includes innovative hands-on workshops, subspecialty sessions, and industry sessions. The exhibition hall will provide opportunities for attendees to explore the latest technologies, treatments, and products in the field to date. The wait is over. Tickets to attend the Congress in Berlin are on sale now. Be sure to check edvcongress2023.org to learn how to participate and for more information about the event. Did you know that GADV clinical practice has an open call for papers on skin diversity? With a patient-focused approach, EADV's open access journal aims to address the underrepresentation of skin of color in dermatology practice and research. We welcome a wide range of submissions for this special issue, including original and review articles, case reports, and more. Submit your proposal to GAECP at eadv.org. Final manuscript submissions are due by the 30th of November 2023. Don't miss this opportunity to contribute to the representation of all patient populations. Find out more on eadv.org. If you are looking to stay up to date on skin cancer research and best practices, do not skip this valuable conversation. Enjoy. Good afternoon to our listeners of the GEDV podcast. Today, it's my pleasure uh, that we have Professor John Paoli with us. Uh, John is the head of the dermatology department of the University in Gothenburg in Sweden. And uh, he's one of European Europe's experts in skin cancer, melanoma and non-melanoma. And John, we want to talk with you about this today. Thank you so much for having me, John. So, um, John, I saw uh, some recent work of you in the GEADV uh, about uh, basal cell carcinoma, trichoepithelioma, uh, treatment aspects, and epidemiolo epidemiology. Um, and uh, it was interesting for me, you had this work on um, that we should not only look at the histopathological diagnosis, but also at tumors that I treated right away. Yes, this is correct. So mainly focusing on, on low-risk uh, basal cell carcinomas, of course, high risk were in, involved as well. But uh, what we saw in this study was that um, if we, we're diagnosing so many basal cell carcinomas now with just dermoscopy, and, um, and of course, we don't have the resources to be taking biopsies of every single tumor that we uh, remove or treat. So, um, uh, and we found out that looking at the clinical diagnosis um, and you know, adding these to the, all the registered histopathological diagnoses, we have many more superficial BCCs, mainly on the trunk and, of course, the extremities as well, uh, many more than, than we thought previously. And, and um, if you look at other uh, data, it always says that the, the most common basal cell carcinomas are the uh, infiltrative uh, or nodular BCCs in the facial area. But this isn't really true in real life. 
Yes, it, it made me think when I saw it, it made me think of our own practice here in Belgium. So I work in a Northern European country in Belgium and we see these uh, superficial types and we, we also tend not to biopsy every one of them. If we are very, if we are clinically very sure it's an older patient, we say, we just treat you. We don't make you come back. We don't, we don't first uh, biopsy, take stitches, make you come back for treatment. We try to solve the problem right away. Exactly. Um, I was one. I just came to me while we spoke. Do you see this um, superficial BCC also in other skin types, or is this something very typical for skin type one and two, phototype one and two? Well, of course, uh, here in Scandinavia, we, we mainly have ones and twos, but uh, we do have uh, quite a lot of threes and fours as well. Um, and I would say that uh, I also worked in Spain for a while, and, and we saw many superficial BCCs on these patients as well. Uh, with a little bit darker skin types. So um, I think it's not just a problem uh, of Scandinavia or Sweden. It's uh, probably a, uh, a, a problem within uh, most populations with a, a fair skin type in general in the population. Yeah. So so all uh, all of Europe? Uh... All of Europe, a, lot, yeah, a large part of the US, Australia, and even uh, many other countries uh, that uh, don't have too dark skin types, yeah. Yeah, so it's really a global uh, a global question to think about yes. it. Okay, that is uh, that is. And and what do you prefer, curettage surgery? You did also some work about these questions. Um, what would be your approach? Yes, uh, we we uh, together with my doctoral student uh, Eva Bachmann, uh, who's done impressive work uh, in this field. He, she's um, we've been doing randomized controlled trials, uh, looking at simple treatments uh, and simplified versions protocols for. Uh, destructive therapy of uh, basal cell carcinoma, um, superficial types, and also the nodular uh, types. And we've seen that um, that curettage only for superficial BCCs is almost as effective as uh, just cryosurgery, uh, which was interesting because, of course, uh, cryosurgery uh, isn't available in primary healthcare, for example. So in the future, perhaps, we could be uh, teaching, you know, primary care physicians to treat basal cell carcinoma when we just don't have the time to take care of all these patients. And then for nodular BCCs, we were doing um, testing uh, one session, one freeze-thaw cycle of curatage and cryosurgery versus two, which is the standard protocol that we have here in Sweden. And it turns out that they're both just as effective and we might also diminish the, um, the wound healing times. So uh, this was also interesting. So, so if I understand right, so you were doing uh, either two cycles of curettage of a of a BCC, or you were had the patient coming twice for a uh, for cryosurgery. Yeah, no. So um, just to, to clarify, um, if we start with the nodular BCCs, uh, our protocol, our standard protocol, has always been curettage, and then cryosurgery, letting it thaw, and then cryosurgery again, letting it thaw once more. And we've tested this versus just letting it uh, freeze and thaw one time. And this was just as effective. So it's saving time, but also saving uh, or shortening the wound healing times. And it's very effective. It's almost 100% after one year. Of course, we're going to do further follow-up, three and five years. Uh, but we've already had preliminary results in the three-year data. And it's really uh, impressive, um, you know, as effective as surgery on the trunk and extremities where we're, uh, you know, doing surgery can be uh, quite expensive and, and um, difficult for the patient because they have to you know, have stitches for several weeks and um, big scars and 
Yeah. I think it's often older, fragile patients, um, yes, maybe even absolutely. on anticoagulation or maybe a difficult transport from a, from your home, elderly home coming to. So there are many, many reasons to have such a practical approach. Absolutely. We can treat them on the first visit, just as you mentioned. And this is really practical, cheap. Uh, affordable and, and the patients when they're when you offer this uh, and you and you say you can do surgery and this is gonna you know you have to come back then you have to have stitches for two weeks then you have to go to the nurse to remove the stitches or we can do it right away and uh, and the patients are very happy to just do it right away and they come back when they have their next one and want cryosurgery again so it's um, it's really simple therapy yeah so the and and i have i have to say we have a similar similar response of our patients many of them are happy uh, to have taken it right away Yeah, and uh, spoken on, you make the diagnosis also with thermoscopy, which which features would what in your eyes needs to be present uh, to go for, for such an immediate approach. Okay, so it, it of course has to be a very uh, clear cut uh, diagnosis. Um, when you're doing curettage, however, you always have the possibility of sending the curettage material for pathology, so you can confirm that you, what you did was correct. Um, but um, we've seen in, in our uh, larger uh, studies within the uh, International Dermoscopy Society that the uh, sensitivity and specificity for a diagnosis of BCC is really, really high um, in, in uh, many studies and, uh, you know, multivariate analysis uh, showing that um, we have uh, very high sensitivity specificity. Diagnostic accuracy is excellent. So um, I'm, I'm not afraid to do it uh, without a biopsy. Of course, if there's, if there's any little doubt, then of course we biopsy first or uh, at least send the curatage material for, for pathology. Okay, I think that is uh, that is really interesting, and I think it gives a, a very good rationale uh, to our colleagues because this is becoming an epidemic. I have the impression that we see more and more of these lesions. You sometimes also see a patient who kept it for years when it gets a larger tumor. So it's clear that we have to that we have to treat it. But um, I think that that is really important that we use our. Oh, yeah. uh, Resources well. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. The resources. It's yes. the good management of resources. So this looks like a really good example. So, um, John, I know you also care about melanoma and yes. um, that one of your uh, parts of the work is to look at melanoma thickness uh, using dermoscopy and then at the larger management. Um, so yes. maybe you can give us some ideas here. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much, Jan. Uh, I really like this uh, this topic, and it's something that I've been working on uh, quite a lot the, the past few years, and that I think I've, I will be working on the, the next uh, decade as well. Um, so really, uh, I think nowadays with dermoscopy, uh, recognizing melanoma and uh, excising uh, atypical melanocytic lesions that we suspect could be a melanoma, um, you know, we've reduced the numbers needed to treat from 2030 down to, uh, I mean, five, six in general, if you look at pigmented le uh, lesion experts, and even some dermoscopists down to two or three lesions. Um, so now the question is, is, is rather, okay, uh, can we do the excisions smarter and in a smarter, more cost-effective way? And I think we can. So uh, what we've been doing is looking at, can dermoscopy help us predict the melanoma thickness, uh, if it's a melanoma in situ or if it's a thin, No, uh, you know, non-ulcerated, you know, less than one millimeter thick melanoma with excellent prognosis, or if it's going to be thicker than one melanoma, and then you can also predict whether or not central lymph node biopsy is going to be indicated or not. And why is this interesting? Well, um, today, of course, the, the standard treatment and what's recommended all over the world, uh, according to international guidelines, is 
a diagnostic excision with a very small margin, two millimeters, one to three millimeters, depending on the guidelines. And then we have to take the patient back when we confirm the melanoma, uh, if it's invasive, with, and then remove that with a wide local excision with one or two centimeters, depending on the Breslow thickness. So this is all fine, but uh, we have to also think about why are we doing this? these wide local excisions? We don't really do that for basal cell carcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, it's only melanoma. And this is, of course, the old tradition from 1950s and 60s where, where you were excising with four centimeters, five centimeters, and then reducing this slowly and realizing that we can make it smaller and smaller. And, and now we're at the point where do we really need these wide local excisions? And this is, of course, a controversial topic. But now that we can predict, and what we showed in our, in our studies um, was that uh, we can actually predict uh, with very high accuracy whether or not a melanoma is uh, in situ or thin invasive, or at least not thick invasive. So we can predict that it's not going to need a sentinel node biopsy. So then we can kind of move away from the diagnostic excision with two millimeters and perhaps move towards, let's excise it with five millimeters because the clinical margin isn't really all that interesting. The interesting thing is, did we uh, achieve a histopathological margin in the end? Uh, and of course, with these small margins that we're removing melanomas with today and, and historically, uh, we actually have seen that um, that the incomplete excision rate is about 7-10% for melanomas. Some studies say up to 20%. So, you know, we're really mistreating some melanomas. And then we have all, always have to do the wide level excision. But if we remove it with a 5 millimeter margin, and we, you know, thinking this may be in situ or a thin melanoma with very good prognosis, then we'll have a histopathological margin guaranteed of at least 2 millimeters. And two millimeters, you might say, okay, that's not much. But in the cell universe, this is about 200 cells. You know, keratinocytes and melanocytes are about 10 micrometers in, in width. So you can count that into to two millimeters and you fit 200 cells. That's quite a margin. Yeah, and definitely. So if it's not a lentiginous melanoma, uh, then we might this might be enough. So I would like to do a, a prospective randomized controlled trial uh, testing whether or not it's safe. Uh, and of course... Uh, in the future, perhaps unnecessary to do these wide local excisions. This is uh, my goal. Yeah, I understand. So it's the same approach. Patient comes and you solve the problem right on the spot. One visit. Yes. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's the goal. Yeah. Okay. That is a that is a really ambitious, but I would say a very patient centric approach. And it is. Uh, it but, is. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> I understand this will still need years of uh, of of research. I remember. When I was a resident uh, in in the yeah, begin of the of this millennium, I still saw a lot of um, satellite metastases ah, yes. uh, around uh, excision. So we had a we had we we saw a lot of patients referred to the hospital, which had an, a very small excision, and they had these satellites around the uh, around the um, the scar. Mm -hmm. I don't see such patients anymore. Uh, no. I think. They are nowadays much better taken care of. I have the impression, at least where I work, I don't see Absolutely. these patients. Yeah, I think I think you and I and and uh, probably everyone that's listening today has a similar experience. Um, here in Sweden, for example, fifty percent of the melanomas that we diagnose are in situ today. Probably more than fifty percent now, uh, and uh, of the invasive melanomas, about eighty percent are thin uh, melanomas. So they have excellent prognosis. 
for these melanoma patients. And uh, we're really finding the patients early. Uh, the ones that we find late is because the patient is coming late. Um, and um, so if we're you know, seeing earlier and earlier cases, uh, then we're going to have so many more wide local excisions to do. Uh, and if these aren't you know, giving any benefits because they don't have satellites, as you say, um, and um, you know, if they um, if they do have a local recurrence or they do have metastasis, is the wide local excision really helping prevent this? Um, we really don't know, and I and I probably don't don't think so. Uh, I think it's going to be similar to the story with the sentinel node uh, biopsy, where where we thought this was going to cure the patients or at least improve overall survival, and then it didn't. Um, so of course time will tell, but uh, we have to do the studies. Okay, so that will be that will be really interesting studies, and I hope that you find a lot of collaborators with this. You will need you will need collaborators. Yeah. Yes, um, many thousands. <laughs> yeah. So um, we we've been talking a lot about surgery, and um, is in your eyes the the training on on dermatosurgery surgery homogenous across Europe, or do we need initiatives to to standardize? I think the same came me when you spoke about dermoscopy. And I mean, you're really making it a, a diagnostic procedure comparable to a biopsy. So do we need the dermoscopy certification? Do we need some that? Perhaps not certification necessarily, uh, but uh, it would be a, a step forward to, to uh, kind of um, prove uh, or know which people are, are uh, trained uh, properly or not. Um, But I do think that uh, dermoscopy training has been ongoing now for quite some time, and there are many initiatives uh, from uh, the ADV, but also from uh, the International Dermoscopy Society, which is a sister society to the EADV. Uh, we've been working uh, very hard on this uh, with this uh, issue uh, for many years now, um, and uh, and now it's it's quite widespread. Of course, there's still a need for improvements, but within surgery, uh, I would say that uh, there's a, an even larger need, and that. Um, The tradition of, of of doing surgery uh, in some countries. I mean, in Germany, where where you uh, you can't come from, and also Belgium. I think there's uh, excellent uh, training in in, in surgery. Uh, in Sweden, I think it's okay. It's not great, but it's uh, okay. Uh, but many countries, especially in Eastern Europe, I would say that the um, the training is is uh, almost non-existent. Uh, in several countries, so this is uh, a heterogeneous uh, situation that we that we should definitely uh, improve in the future with courses, more courses, and more education, and, and also um, changes in policy and tradition. Um, just as an, a, a crazy example, uh, my colleagues in Denmark um, they do the diagnostic excision of a melanoma, but by law, almost they have to send the wide local excision to a plastic surgeon, even though the dermatologist can can do it by themselves. For, for no, just because the plastic surgeons have had this tradition, you know? So these are traditions that we have to break and, and change and, and uh, yes. Yeah, I think that's what we need good data for. Good data yes, and good quality that we deliver. Yeah, uh, not having many complications, having good outcomes, uh, to have the right arguments uh, for, for the policymakers uh, that this is unnecessary. Yeah, and that, as you, as you just mentioned, that maybe we can just do it in at the first visit or with, with a short second visit, that would be definitely better. Yes, yeah. absolutely, I think so. Yeah. And how about how about training? So there, there's a lot of um, inhomogeneity, I think, on uh, who does what. And it's also, it's very country specific, is my yes. impression. In, in some countries, there's a lot of dermatosurgery. In other countries, it's all done by, by surgeons. 
So um, how do we go with that? Yeah, I think uh, small steps uh, moving forward and thinking uh, in a similar way and, and uh, working on uh, making it more homogeneous uh, around Europe. Um, I think the ADV is, is doing uh, initiatives already uh, towards this. Uh, for example, they uh, just speaking of Mohs surgery, for example, they expanded the number of scholarships uh, from one to four um, and fellowships, fellowship programs for, for Mohs surgery, for example. Um, and uh, yeah, and small initiatives like this will, will, will slowly change the situation. Of course, we have to move into Eastern Europe and, and, uh, and there I think it's, uh, it's going to be more hands-on. We have to really speak to the, to the people that make the decisions uh, further up uh, to convince them that dermatologists can do this. I mean, um, um, in some countries, they weren't even allowed to take a punch biopsy without the permission of a surgeon. Uh, and this is crazy, of course. Now we so, are now I'm becoming political, but I think yeah. it's a big advantage that the dermatologist says we know the disease, yeah, we know exactly. the pathology, and I think yeah. that really helps in in making good decisions uh, which treatments to choose. So um, I think we we really need to make sure that there are enough exchange programs or maybe courses going going to a place that you can reach as many persons at one time. Uh, maybe we can maybe we can have a, a team organizing a course together at a place where there's less training. Maybe this comes out of this podcast. Um, I agree and I hope so. <laughs> yeah. John, is there anything that you would say our listeners uh, shall take home? What, what would be your most important take home? I think we have take home messages. Well, um, I, would, I would like to take home uh, or, or send home uh, the following message. Speaking of melanomas and uh, thin melanomas, especially in situ melanomas, um, of course, when we see a, a, an atypical monocytic lesion that we think could be a melanoma, but if it, is a, it, if it is a melanoma, we have to think to ourselves, is it flat? Is it, uh, does it have brown and black features? Uh, if there's any vessels, are they dotted vessels? This would all indicate that it's a melanoma in situ. So if it's a melanoma in situ, and that's your, your best guess, I would say at least remove these with a five millimeter margin because you don't have to worry about sentinel node biopsy. It's never going to happen. It's, you know, even if it's a, an invasive melanoma, it's going to be a thin invasive melanoma, right? If you're wrong in that direction. So we can be brave enough to trust our dermoscopy and uh, excise this with a five millimeter margin clinically. And this will give us 100% complete excisions. It'll give us 100% complete excisions with a two millimeter histopathological margin. So the patient doesn't need any more treatment. So at least we can start with uh, melanoma in situ only needing one surgery and not uh, another further wide local excision. And then in the future, hopefully we'll move on to thin melanomas. Uh, this will take more time, but at least for melanoma in situ, I think we can, we can uh, change the, the way we treat them. And, and this is 50% of our patients. It's going to save a lot of time and money. Your patient's going to be happy. Uh, and I'm going to be happy if you do it. So, so please do that. Happy patients, happy doctors, happy minister of health. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I think that you have taught us a lot today. Um, John, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you so um, much I for hope me. we will meet at another podcast sooner or later or at the next EADV meeting. I hope so too, Jan. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me and, and for everyone that uh, listened. Uh, glad to, to be a part of this and, and see you soon. See you soon. And thank you to our listeners. Bye bye. Before you go, a quick favor. If you are a regular listener to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback will help us improve the show and develop episodes that you are interested in hearing. To participate in the short survey, simply follow the link in the show notes of this episode. 
Thank you for your support. It means a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.